All right, well, this is Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. This is the word of God. And he, Jesus, and he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Amen. This is the word of God. Is the church intended to be a people who gather together? Or is the church intended to be a people who go? Which is it? God formed the church He has intentions for it. Jesus called it. Jesus has called us. Jesus has commissioned us. So is the church and is the purpose in his calling for his people, for us to gather and worship and receive the grace of God? Or is it to be a people to go and to be active and to give to others and to give to the world? Well, the question here is wrapped up with Jesus' words in Mark. It's a passage that isn't quite a parable, but it does have aspects of a parable in it. But nonetheless, though, it's sandwiched between this section of parables. And all of these parables use the imagery of seeds and the growth of seeds. Last week, we heard the parable of the seeds in the soil, where the word of Christ is sown upon human hearts in the world, and then how it grows based upon their responses, and it bears the respective fruit. And if you look ahead then, next week are a couple more short parables involving seeds being scattered and growing. Or small seeds growing in disproportionate ways with disproportionate results. And there's something that's important for us to keep in mind with all of this. Especially with that parable from last week. But this parable, or sorry, this passage here is divided into two sections. One involving a lamp and light. In verses 21 through 23. And then one receiving back in turn from the measure used. Verses 24 through 25. And both of these are tied together with why Jesus came. And both give varying aspects of the human response to what we're supposed to do with him. Jesus came to be displayed. But Jesus also came to be received. And so we see in that first part, verses 21 through 23, how Jesus came to be displayed. Displayed for all to see. On Christmas morning, our boys went and looked in their stockings and they found these LED headlamps in there. They're a bright source of light. In fact, it's like blinding LED light when they're turned on full brightness and they're shined in your eyes. And the purpose of a light like that, the purpose of this headlamp isn't just to look at it. It's not to sit on the shelf. It's not even simply to be worn and have it turned off. It's to be used to shine light forth. And the same way defeats the purpose if they're turned on and then tossed under the covers in my kid's bed. The reason why we got them those headlamps and their purpose and the reason why they love them so much is because of the light that's on full display. They wore them outside and they played in the dark when they got them. They turned them on at night in their dark room at bedtime to look at books in their bed before they fall asleep. So a lamp isn't 
intended to be covered over. It's not intended to be hidden or never to be turned on. That defeats the purpose of the lamp, of the light. It's turned on. It is lit in order for it to shine its light out into the dark corners. Light's given to be displayed. Or else why is there light in the first place? Turning on a flashlight and then putting it in your pocket makes no sense. And nor does turning on a lamp and putting it in the corner and then throwing a blanket over it. Because light is meant to be displayed. Its intent is to, be, is to reveal. It's not to be hidden. It just re- renders it useless. It doesn't respect the good qualities of the light and its purpose. Light shines forth and it reaches into the dark corners of the room. It illumines the shadowy areas and allows us to see what lies there. It dispels the darkness and it overpowers the shadows. I mean, what is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. And as soon as light shines into the darkness, it fills the void and it chases it away. And it replaces the obscurity that was there with the clarity of vision. And there's something alluring and there's something hopeful about light. Darkness is that classic trope that's used in scary stories. But hope is sparked, though, when light is found. A child who is scared in the dark, they need a nightlight as a comfort. A ship sailing along the coast in a foggy night needs a lighthouse. And so what is Jesus referring to when he references a lamp intending to have its light shine forth unobscured? It's the light of hope. It's the light of his kingdom which has come and the light to which he was testifying. But it's more than just his kingdom come. It's Jesus himself who is the lamp, who is shining his light out into the darkness. As the Son of God, his words have a way of exposing all the dark corners of sin in our hearts and in the world. His perfection shows us our own failures and our imperfections when we encounter his light. But when he shines upon us, then, he allows us to see clearly. And we don't always like what we see about ourselves. And so his light leads us to humility and to confession. But the light of Jesus isn't just to expose. It's also to give hope. He allows us to see not only ourselves more clearly, but his light also allows us to see him more clearly. And when we hear his words that he came to save not the righteous, but sinners, and our ears perk up and our hearts are drawn towards the beauty of his light. Like a lantern showing its, 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 uh, the path in darkness, he guides us into the truth not only about ourselves and the world, but also about himself. He is the light to expose our sins with his righteousness, but also to guide us along the path to find life and hope in himself. When the world seems like a hopeless place for us to live in, Jesus illumines the path to reveal uh, that Jesus illumines the path to reveal that apart from him, it actually really is hopeless. That there is death in the world, there is injustice, there is hurt, there is sorrow and suffering. But praise God that He has given us light and hope and has shown us the path into life and towards that end in His Son Jesus. Jesus is light. His words in John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. And like any light or lamp, he came with the intent of being displayed, not being hidden or covered over. 
Or do you ever think what his life would have looked like if he wanted to be hidden? He would have kept quiet. He would have lived in obscurity. He probably would have hidden. And he wouldn't have been so open with his miracles. There wouldn't have been those moments where he had to preach from a boat because all of the people following him. But that's not how he lived or ministered. He preached with bold authority. And he preached in the public places. He didn't hide from the public. He healed and he spoke and he cast out demons in the full public eye. Because he knew his true nature and his intention as the light. And because he knows that light isn't to be hidden. He was the light shining upon the earth, displaying his true nature and the nature of his kingdom. And he knows that we need light. And his time on earth isn't the whole story either. He's still the light. He still shines upon the earth and and upon human hearts as the spirit, though, continues to bear witness about him through his word. And his light still shines, his light still illumines until someday every eye will see and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord as his light will flood and illumine every human heart and every corner of the earth. Jesus came to be displayed, but we also see that in verses 24 and 25 that he also came to be received. Our boys had headlamps, again, in their Christmas stockings, but it wasn't enough that they were just in the stocking hanging above the mantle. The key part of all this isn't just being given, but it's also the gift being received. And of course, it isn't only that they received them, but it's how they received them. They were so glad they immediately put them on their heads and they figured out how to turn them on and they ran outside in the dark to go play with them. Jesus says in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. It's the same idea with my kids and those headlamps. Not just the receiving, but the manner of receiving. How do you receive? And it's not just hearing, but it's the manner of hearing. Because we all know that words can be heard passively or without much thought or with it just sounds like noise in the background. They're heard, but there's not, just, there's not much care given to them. And here's the gift of light in Jesus. Here's the lamp shining forth in the word of Christ. And how will you receive this gift? Are you also actually hearing these words and are you taking them with seriousness? And Jesus describes a reciprocal idea of receiving the word to encourage careful hearing. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. In other words, what you put into hearing is what you get out of it. If you pay close attention and you receive it for what it is, then to that degree it will be a benefit to you. You'll hear more closely and carefully and with your heart about the nature and work of Jesus. And the more you hear with this sort of intentness, the more fruit it will bear within you. And the sort of hearing comes when we recognize who we are, that we are people who are in deep need of grace. Not just that we're people who have problems, or that life is hard, but that fundamentally we are needy people who don't have a leg to stand on for any hope save for the grace of God. And when that's how we listen and when that's how we receive, if that's the state of our heart, then we are in the proper place to receive the word of God for it to really shine and become beautiful to us. And that's when it bears fruit. That's when we, we, we receive it with gladness and joy. 
And graciously, God heaps more than we deserve in our listening. He works on an economy of divine grace that goes beyond just a simple reciprocity. Because he says, and still more will be added to you. Right? How good is that? Because even in our moments when we're most excited to hear, there are parts that we still don't get. Our attentiveness wanes. Sometimes we count the panels behind, behind the preacher or the number of bricks that are in the wall there. Or when we're reading at home, we, uh, we keep our eyes on the clock, wondering what time it is. But this is an encouragement, though, for us to, to not give up, but to keep listening. Because it does take effort. Both kids and adults need to be trained to listen and to hear, especially as our attention spans grow shorter as a society. And it's admittedly not easy to hear or to read with the attentiveness that God's word really deserves. But the more that we listen, God also trains us to grow in how we listen and how we receive it. It takes time, too. It doesn't just happen overnight. And there are moments of, of despair or despondency with it. The answer isn't to just give up or put it aside, but to keep at it. Keep listening. Keep hearing. Keep doing so with attentiveness and with prayer. There's a spiritual discipline sometimes to just showing up to hear. Or opening up God's word to listen over and over. And that comes with time. So why delay if you're having trouble now? Why push it all in the future? Maybe I'll learn someday. When if you start paying attention now, it will grow over time into a greater abundance. Because conversely, in verse 25, Jesus says that an inability to see will end up, though, in lost spiritual benefit. If you hear without taking Jesus' words seriously or caring much about them, then you may grow increasingly numb to the word. If you keep hearing it over and over without much thought, then it has the potential to, to lose all of its appeal someday. And so there are two distinct sections in this passage with these two ideas that are distinct here. Jesus' light being displayed and his light being received. And there's a certain tension between those two. But as we consider them further and looking at this passage, we see a little bit deeper still how they sit in tension a few of those tensions here I want to look at, one of them is anti-individualism versus individualism. And once again here, Jesus speaks these words immediately following his parables of the seed and the soil. So let's consider this par th these words in light of that. Seeds aren't meant to be looked at. Seeds are meant to be planted. The beauty of a seed isn't on its own. In fact, other than contemplating the mystery that lies within that seed, there isn't really much that captures our attention. But the beauty of a seed is, comes from, from what it brings forth, that it sprouts, that it grows, that it brings a harvest of fruit for us. A seed is meant to be received in the soil. And from the parable, it's meant to be sown on the heart and to be received with favor. As the word, as the seed goes forth, it is intended to bring a response from the heart upon which it lands. And like a seed sown in favorable conditions upon cultivated soil, it germinates and it brings forth fruit. That's how a garden grows. And that's how the kingdom of God grows. A garden grows as the seeds come alive and bring forth tomatoes and cucumbers and squash and melons. And all those fruits have seeds within them that bear fruit in turn. 
continuing to grow then into a more fruitful garden if those seeds are then planted. And as the word is heard and as it's received and it bears fruit of faith in a person's life, then it provides for more opportunities for the word, for the seed to be sown from them and for more hearers to receive that seed. And that's part of what forms this tension between anti-individualism and individualism in relation to responding to Jesus revealed. Because the purpose of the light is to be displayed. It is intended to shine forth and to be seen, not to be kept under a basket, not to be put under a blanket, not to be hidden under the couch. And we ourselves are those who have responded to Jesus, and we did so because that light first shone upon ourselves. Jesus didn't come to us intending to, to remain hidden, and neither can his followers then keep him, try, keep him hidden or try to hide him. Because if we know who he is, and if we know who we have, and we treasure him so completely, that we will make him known. That's what we do with the things that we love, right? We talk about them. We spread the joy of it. If you ever went to someone's house, and you start talking with the other person, and they start talking about something that they love or something that they're really proud of, and then they have to pull it out to show you then or, or take you around the house to whatever it is. Maybe it's something that they built or something they're taking care of or, again, some prized possession. Knowing and loving Jesus and treasuring him above all else because he is absolutely everything to who you are, that brings a similar response. We can't wait to show him to others. And knowing that when others encounter us, they see how it forms us. The knowledge of Jesus isn't a secret. He never came intending to keep himself secret. He worked in public. And his followers ought not to hold him in any other way. He's not to be compartmentalized into one parts of our lives or just set aside for, one, uh, for a few hours on one day of the week on Sundays. He's not made to be made into such a personal matter that it has no effect upon us or how we live or how we interact with the world around us. A response to Jesus is never individualistic because he calls us to follow him with all of who we are and in every part of our lives, including our public lives. But at the same time, following him also requires an individual response. Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. There's still this emphasis on how you hear, how you receive the word. He calls us into a life that isn't sequestered from others, but he also calls us to respond to his word. And how will we display the light of this treasure if we don't first love and treasure Jesus who came for us? If he hasn't shown his light into my heart and shown his beauty clearly to me, then how can I be expected to do so with any sense of authenticity? See, the two ideas of, of individualism, just an, an, an individual receiving, and anti-individualism can't be pitted against each other. Both of them need to be upheld. Jesus saves individuals, but not individuals who just float around autonomously. He calls us to respond to him, but our response isn't privatized. The second tension that's related to that that we see is a tension between being beacons of Christ... Versus receivers of Christ. 
The full or the light of Jesus has come into the world. And he came not to be hidden, but to be put on full display. His hope, his salvation, his grace and his mercy for desperate people wasn't something that he tried to hide. It formed the central purpose of his coming. So what about now? Jesus isn't here on earth at this moment. How does his mission continue throughout the world when he's not here? It's taken up by his people. It's taken up by the church who he calls and who he sends. There's a missionary character to the church. Not merely by people who we call and who we send out as missionaries. Or people who we support as missionaries. Or going on missions trips. Or, or referred you know, with pastors and evangelists. I mean, is that all there is to the church? No, of course not. If you are in Christ, then you are his church. So how does the light shine into the darkness? It happens through us. When we put the light of Christ on full display and not hide it under the blankets or under the bed when we live an individualized version of the faith, it's instead that what we do is we put it on the lampstand We seek to have the light of Christ shine into the world, illumining the darkened places and showing others in in darkness the way to life. The church is a missionary people. We continue the mission of Jesus in this world, not by ourselves taking the place of Jesus, not ourselves being the agents of transformation and redemption, but by shining the light of Jesus who is the one who redeems, who is our, our redemption, who is the transformer. We live, we serve, we work in this world empowered by the Spirit to have Jesus revealed through us. In Acts 13, the Apostle Paul quotes from Isaiah 49, which is a prophecy of the the coming Savior being a light to the the earth, being a light to the Gentiles, sending his light out to the ends of the earth. But interestingly, in in that moment, Paul applies it not only to Jesus himself, but to himself. See, Jesus came to shine his light to the Gentile peoples across the earth. He intended it to go to every corner. And Paul saw himself as continuing the mission of Jesus by bearing witness to the light of Jesus all the way to the ends of the earth. And as the church, which he was a forebear of us, of which Paul was an apostle, then so also do we. How does Jesus shine his light in the Newburgh a place that the, the apostles had no clue even existed. It happens by the church. It happens by the people of God continuing to go and to serve and to live and work and act in his name. What an incredible view of life. Jesus has called us to be the beacons of his light, beacons of Jesus Christ himself to the world around us. But at the same time, We cannot forget that we ourselves are also receivers of the same Jesus. We can get so focused on being a sent people only that we have an incorrect balance with also being a called people. A people who are called to hear and to respond personally to Jesus. And there's a part of us that loves to do things. A part of us that loves to be active. Service is important. It's a vital part of being a disciple. But who is it who's called into service in the, who called us into service in the first place? Jesus did. And we can't be beacons of Jesus without also receiving from Jesus. And we need to remember that. 
We, remember, we need to remember who he is, to receive from him, to commune with him, to know him, and to bask in his light that he's shown upon us. If we are to display the beauty of Jesus, how can we expect it to do that if we don't first see him as beautiful and grow in appreciating his beauty? Again, both of those are important, of being beacons and receivers. We are recipients of grace, and then we testify to grace. We become people of the kingdom, and then we bear witness to the kingdom. The light has shone upon us, and we take that light, and then we shine it out into the shadowy places. Right? This is the, where the waters of life are. If you try to give and to go with a dusty soul, then that's the Jesus who you will end up putting on display. Just dry and dusty. But the third tension we have here is optimism versus realism. Now, there's a certain optimism that comes across with Jesus' words about the light. He says, the light will shine. Everything hidden will be made manifest. All the secrets will come to light. Sounds pretty hopeful, doesn't it? The light is going to penetrate in every darkened corner. It's similar to the seeds in the soil. They will grow. Fruit will be born. Things are going to happen. And we all need that kind of encouragement. We need to, rem to be reminded that the, of the power of the gospel. That no heart is too hard to repel the grace of God that's at work on it. No place is too far gone to escape the light of Christ shining within it. Romans 1 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It is power. It is the very power of God who's at work. And shame on us for when those times that we forget it. God's word and the light of Jesus goes forth with a real divine power. And that is every reason for us to have optimism. It is a powerful word that we take with us. And it is a powerful God who stands before that or who stands behind that. And amen to that. But at the same time, there's a realism, though, that sets in when we read the second part of the passage. The light will shine. The word of Christ will go forth and it will shine brightly in the hearts of those who believe. And it will dwell richly inside of them as the power of God does, it, does its work. And yet, Jesus' words tell us that some will not believe. And what they have, which wasn't much at all, will be taken away from them. Their understanding. The measure of attentiveness that they used when the word came to them will be measured back to them. And the whole time they didn't pay much attention. Some people are drawn to the light while others recoil or are just simply blinded by its brightness. And I don't want to sound pessimistic. I'm just saying what Jesus is saying. It's not pessimism, but there's a realism though. The gospel is the power for salvation, uh, the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And it's not pessimistic because the fact that anyone believes in the first place is a testament to God's power in the gospel. And the light of Christ will shine forth. It will go forth. And optimism says that we can be confident because of Christ's light shining and shining into every place to chase away the dark. And so go forth and be optimistic. But optimism shouldn't be blind to the complementing reality that Jesus says not everyone will believe. But so with all this here, though, let's step back. Let's tie all this, all this together here. 
And let's think again about that question I asked at the beginning. Is the church intended to be a people who gather? Or is it intended to be a people who go? From Jesus' words, that's an unfair dichotomy to put upon the church. The church is comprised of desperate, needy sinners. People who are failures. People who suffer under the broken down nature of life. People who are in deep need of mercy and grace and look to God in the face of Jesus Christ for that mercy and grace. And we come back to him day after day. We come back here week after week to receive from Jesus again the promise that he alone is our Savior who will never cast us out. And he reminds us of his love and mercy that was given to sinners upon the cross where he paid for our sins, where he removed them as far as from the east is from the west, yet brings us as close to God as children are with their father. And yet, as we come into a continued knowledge of just how good Jesus is, then we take the light of Jesus that we have come to know and we shine it forth into the darkened world. His light has shone upon us. And we reflect it into the further darkened recesses that are around us. His light is shown through us. The beauty and the loveliness and the power of the crucified and raised Jesus is delivered to the world through us. And he sends us then to display him as the infinite treasure to satisfy the longings of all peoples who dwell in darkness. And so it's unfair to ask the question of whether we receive or we go because we're both and only Jesus is able to bring hope to the people in our various spheres and in our community he came for that purpose for that very reason and as you have received his light then he calls you to take what you have received and make it manifest here within our community let's pray Lord God, you have shown light upon us. The light has come upon the world. Not intended to be hidden. Not intending to be, uh, to be set aside or covered over. But the light of Jesus Christ who has come into the world will make all things manifest. And it will shine brightly. It has shone brightly in our hearts in the hearts of all those who have come before us, and it is continuing to shine brightly right now into those who are even receiving him and who will receive him. The very fact that we stand here and we sit here and we live and we work and serve you and our, our members of your kingdom here in Oregon, a place that was unknown to the apostles when, they, when Jesus was walking the earth with them, or the very fact that we are here just is a testimony to the fact that you have called your people to go to the ends of the earth. Thank you for that. And let us not, though, be complacent in how we receive your word, in how we receive the light, but would it, we take it and have it illumine our hearts and illumine Jesus so that we might have a deeper love for him. And let us at the same time also not be complacent in shining that light in turn, that our neighbors, that our co-workers, friends, that people in this town, people in this county, people who we encounter on a daily basis, or even perhaps those who we don't encounter on a daily basis, through us 
would see the beauty and magnificence of Jesus who came to save needy and desperate sinners just like us. And shine your light upon us, Lord God, as we come to the table here very shortly where Jesus feeds us and where his light, the light of his cross, the light of his resurrection is shown here. Prepare us to receive him. In Jesus' name, amen.